Good morning. So when you see Shelby next time, they're at retreat right now, but ask her, just ask her random, what if I buy 13? And just see. Because she, she was adding those up for us, but maybe just put her on her toes, see what she says. What about by 48? Just see what that looks like. Um, so we do have, where did uh, Michaela Jordan go? Why don't you stand up and show us the, the new little one here? They tend to be small at that age. And it's a good thing, wouldn't you all agree? Um, a lot of hair, too. A lot of hair. And I could use some of that hair. Um, <clears throat> so you saw the uh, Genesis Project thing that, sh- that um, Cynthia was talking about. This is something, we- this is actually, this is something that we've been talking about um, for a couple months now. This is not something that is in response to what happened in Israel. In fact, we already had the video made before all that happened. But this is something, I think this is an interesting thing. Um, obviously, you're going to have to be at a specific place in life to be able to accomplish this, um, either with a collection of people that can help you financially or your own finances to do this. But basically, what it's going it's to be ongoing. It's not just a one-time shot right now. But uh, you, you can go be part of this um, Genesis project, and then they uh, train you, set, set up the structure for that, and then when something happens in Israel, then you're mobilized to be a part of that. And, uh, and this isn't, I had somebody say, well, that mean we can, are we going to be part of like the IDF when we go over there? No, you're, you're going to be humanitarian aid. Okay. This is going to be food and water and things like that. This is, it's, um, it's just an opportunity for us to help the country that gets picked on the most by all of the rest of the world. And, uh, and to see that I, I've, I've been watching this unfold, and it's been very strange to see how many people in America are so anti-Israel. Um, they use pro-Palestinian Palestinian as the mentality, but really what they are is they hate Israel. They just hate Israel. There's just a, a demonic hate for Israel, and there always has been, by the way. This isn't new. Um, this didn't just happen. And, and let me throw this out here because you're not going to hear this on any of the news. You're not going to hear you, This is the opposite of what we're hearing right now. Do you, did you know that there is no such thing as the Palestinian people? That's not a thing. That's a, that's a, that's a made-up thing. That these, were, these were people from Jordan that became terrorists and started trying to... Uh, the, 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 the Hamas mentality before it was called Hamas, and Jordan kicked them out, and Syria wouldn't take them, and uh, Saudi Arabia wouldn't take them. Go do your history, and you'll see how these, these terrorists were pushed away. Then there was a very opportunist guy in the 19... Well, he, he was really kind of started beginning, but in the, in, the, in the late 50s, early 60s, it came along that was Yasser Arafat, and he called it the Palestinian Liberation Organization. It was a terrorist organization that has just been sitting there for so long now that they have squatters' rights, and now the whole world, under the influence of Satan, the whole world is calling this the Palestinian people. In fact, do, your, do a study on where that term was first used and how it was used. It was a British guy that called him that because he was confusing it with the Philistines. Think about this. This is, this is not, there is no Palestinian people. It doesn't exist. 
it was a terrorist group. And now they, and, and then when they, when they made Israel a country in 1948 and all that, then they split it up because they didn't know how to split it up. You ought to go look at how they split it up. It's really stupid, too, how they split it up even. Part of the country, big circle in the middle around Jerusalem, part of the, 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 the um, by the sea, and then what we call the Gaza Strip. Now, and then when, when uh, Egypt invaded in 1967, Israel pushed them back so far that they gained major, major chunks of land that came way down past the, what's called Gaza Strip now. And then Israel voluntarily gave that back to, uh, uh, to the Muslim nations. There was no Palestinians. That's a, that's a weird thing that the world embraces in such a stupid way. And, and um, I, I, I've been watching this so many... I, so, you know, as, as representative, I'm getting all kinds of emails. I get some emails from people saying, support Israel, right? And then I'm getting droves of emails from people talking about how the Palestinians are controlled people. It's, it's the Middle East apartheid. It's, they are, they are um, locked up and, and controlled into this spot of land which is not true. There is a gate between them, the fence between them and Israel, but there's nothing behind them. They can go anywhere they want. This idea that they're a, that they're a, a, a brutally oppressed people group is not true. It's just not true. If, you, if there's anything in your head you're thinking, well, well, what about do your homework? Don't listen to CNN don't listen to Talib or AOC or any of Do your homework. Study about this stuff before you listen to what the media says. Okay, there is truth out there, but you've got to look for it. Um, it exists, but you, you just got to get to it. Um, and I'll do the best I can to help you along the way with this too. And, and here's another thing that we, we, there's always, you know, every time a president comes around, uh, new president, they're going to go over there and they're going to fix everything with Israel. Going to fix everything. With Let me help you out. I don't think it's bad that they try to do that, right? The uh, the the uh, David Accords, whatever those. I mean, there were some good things in the past that happened, but here's a reality: that is never ever going to stop. It's never ever going to stop. Um. The, it's, it's a demonic-driven hate for this is what it is. And that's, that's the point of this. So, so I want to look at oh um, a couple other things. I almost got ahead of myself. Uh, I, I do have a lot of questions about, you know, everybody's got their ballots now. Um, Pastor, how should we vote? Well, here's the answer to that. I'm not going to tell you how to vote, except on one thing, and I am going to tell you how to vote. Um, this, this whole Prop HH that's on the ballot, let, let me help you out with that. We, this came as a referendum through the House. We debated it on the House floor and, and attacked it vehemently. This was the last three days of session. The governor sent it in as a cover to try to make himself look better after all of the property taxes are going through the roof. And so he creates this thing that, that now that it's on the ballot, it's called Prop HH. It is a lie from the governor's office. It is not a tax uh, break. It's none of this kind of stuff. Let me, let me help you out with understanding how these things work. Nobody. Not your county commissioners, not city councils, nobody, the, the state, nobody needs permission from the voters to lower taxes. Okay? You don't have to vote on that. They don't have to bring that to a vote. So if we're trying to lower taxes, you don't have to vote. They can just do it. The governor can lower taxes today. Boom. Did you know that? 
County commissioners, change mill levies, lower taxes, local municipalities, all this stuff. Lower taxes. You do not need to vote on that. The only reason you need to vote, according to Tabor, Taxpayer Bill of Rights, is when you raise taxes. And the liberals hate Tabor. They hate the fact that you get your money back instead of us keeping it in the coffers up at the uh, Capitol. And so they're trying to destroy Tabor, and they're trying to take your taxes away. Your, your tax money that, that's already been allocated to come back to you according to state law, they're going to try to use that. Uh, for other things. And if you that's why you have to vote no on Prop HH, okay? If you vote yes, you'll lose Tabor forever. You will not have Tabor. If you don't, you say, well, what's Tabor? T-A-B-A-R-O-R, go look it up. Taxpayer Bill of Rights, go look it up. It's the only thing that has kept Colorado, the only thing that has kept Colorado from becoming California when it comes to taxes. So pay attention to this stuff. This is, we fought it on the floor, I said it on the floor, I say it here. It's a lie from the governor's office. It is not true what they're saying about HH. It doesn't help older people. No changes for older people. You don't get extra money back, you lose money. All that stuff's a lie. So, there. Um, you can see that we, they started digging and doing stuff over here. Uh, this is part of the, the expansion, our building stuff. We haven't been able to get our loan, so now we're doing some of the stuff as we go along. Um, but here's the thing, we're, this is, this, after this we're going to really slow down on this kind of stuff because we need money in the bank for the banks to loan us money. Uh, you have to have money in the bank too. We've been putting money aside, but that slowed down and we want to put as much as we can. So, so what we're asking, this, all this stuff is going to cost $77,000. We would like to have that given and recouped back in there so we can put that in the account uh, so when it comes March, April, we can get the loan. Okay, we'll keep you up to date on that. At the first of the year, we'll show you where the finances are with all this kind of stuff and, uh, and, and let you know what it looks like. But we need, we need quite a few hundred thousand dollars sitting in the bank uh, come March, April-ish. All right? So I'm, I don't normally speak about this subject like this, although I talk about it all the time. <clears throat> So I want us to look at the, um, the concept or the idea of what it means to be a warrior. Um, what God says about being a warrior, what does this look like? Who, who are warriors, who are not? Uh, and, and obviously when you're talking about warrior, you need to know what you're fighting for or fighting against, right? Uh, all these things. So I want to try to unpack this. We do have, we do have some things that are kind of um, ingrained within this um, as part of our our mission around here at Church of Priorgate. And so, so one of the things that we push strongly, so our, our mission statement is that, that Church of Priorgate exists so that we can supernaturally draw close to God and to bring as, other, as many others along with us as possible. Now, th this is we're pursuing God. We're helping other people pursue God, either people that are Christians that we can help along the way or um, people that are not Christians that we can help to the point of, of understanding that Jesus is, is uh, died on the cross and can be their Savior. So all of that is on a, uh, a moving forward mentality, okay? Um, we're not just trying to make sure that people get saved. We're also trying to make sure that saved people are maturing and growing and processing who Jesus is. And so all of that, like the, um, like the uh, trunk or treat that's coming up, um, this is some. I'm not, I, I don't like Halloween. I'm not a fan uh, I don't like what it stands for. We, 
We do this as an outreach. We're not trying to <clears throat> have a Halloween event. We're trying to, because people are doing a Halloween event, we're trying to do this in such a way that we can minister to people. The only reason we do it is to get um, families, it's, it's mostly younger families with younger children out here, so that then we can present the gospel to them. And we do that throughout the day when we're doing the trunk issue. That's why we need so many trunks, okay? The more of you that are participating and you have a trunk, um, and you're sitting there, their kids are interacting with your families, you get to talk to them, you get to meet them, and then we present the gospel to them. Okay, that's, that's the point. We're actually fighting a fight when we're doing that. We're fighting a spiritual fight for the, for the souls of people. This is not just a good a way to get people to come to church, although it, it does accomplish that sometimes. It's we're trying to actually introduce people to the gospel that may not well, most likely would never step on our property. Um, there's also food trucks, and so that's motivating to me. But this really is about um, the gospel. This is about people knowing who Jesus is. And, I, and I've thought about this when it comes to this idea of what are we, fight, what are we fighting? Who are we fighting? How do we fight? All these the, the who, what, when, where, why kind of questions that you would ask about if we're warriors, what does that look like? Um, and who's warriors? This is... Uh, See, see, I strongly believe that every one of us are created by God to be a warrior. Think about this. One, one of the names for Jesus is Jehovah Nisi, the God, the, the, the proper translation of that would be the God who flies the victorious banner, okay, or the banner that flies over, and Jehovah Nisi. What that means is that the banner that flies over the uh, fort, once you've taken the fort, you know, you raise your flag, that means you own the fort now. The, the, this is actually the Lord's name. He doesn't raise a flag. He is the flag. He is the victor of all battles. He will always be victorious in every battle. That's part of his name. And so you think about this, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, part of our responsibility to, is to engage in Jesus, engage with Jesus in the concept of the battle. Because he's, he's the victor of the battles, and he's fighting these battles, or he's putting, he is flying the flag over our life. He's Jehovah Nisi over my life. His banner flies over me. I, I live under his victorious banner of, of him being God. So therefore, I fight within that arena. Okay, now, with that being said, what are we fighting? Where, how are we fighting? We're fighting spiritual battles. I think we fight physical battles too, but there's a lot of scripture that talks about we're not fighting physical people. All the physical people are the ones that usually are the, the instruments in the battle, right? But we're not actually fighting against them. This is, this is some balance. I've talked about this some over the last few months. This is the balance that I try to go into the house with is I'm not fighting against the people, but man, I have to fight their ideologies. I have to fight the demonic uh, influence that is trying to murder babies and groom kids and that's demonic, and I have to go in there ready to fight that, but somehow also try to win the person that's verbalizing this stuff, win them to Jesus Christ. That is difficult, and I don't know for sure if I'm, if I'm doing that right um, yet or even, I know I am some, but man, I don't feel like it most of the time. And, and, and what is that? How do I fight that? How do you fight when you go into work? How do you fight in such a way that you're not being obnoxious, but you're actually declaring who Jesus is and accomplishing what he has 
uh, for us to accomplish. <clears throat> I, um, I, I want to I go first to um, Exodus, and, and, I was, and to ask this question. Well, let me, let me ask the question after I read this. But Exodus chapter 1, uh, uh, chapter 15, verse 1, he says, I will sing to the Lord. For he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. This is, this is after um, uh, the, the sea's parted and they walk across on dry ground. Pharaoh and his armies come rushing in and God collapses the water and drowns them all. Okay? I, I was sitting in uh, Panera this week and, I'm, and there's these two guys in their 80s that are sitting in the booth um, behind me and they come in, they're buddies, they get coffee, they're talking, hey, how you doing, all this stuff. Then they sit down at the table and they go at each other. And they're arguing. Not that quiet. I mean, they're going at each other. And, they're, and one of the guys was, it started off, he was uh, pro-Palestinian. The Jews are these horrible people, all this stuff. And then it worked into just pretty much anything that was anti-God, anti-Bible, anti-anything. And the other guy was trying to hold his own, but he wasn't really... He, didn't, he hadn't done his homework, and he didn't know some of the stuff he was talking about. A couple times I wanted to just, you know, like whisper around the booth, you know, give him some pointers. <clears throat> but I just said, listen to this. And this guy, the pro-Palestinian guy, he said, well, even take the walking across on the, the sea and all that stuff. He said, you know those people walked across the sea with, 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 in two inches of water. There's a shelf that goes out, and I've seen the History Channel stupidity about this. There's a shelf that goes out, and he said, they walked across on two inches of water. God didn't part any water, which is weird to me because he believes that they got across the water. They, he believes they were there. He believes this was a, a moment, a historical moment, and got across the water without God parting it. Why do you believe all the other stuff? That's always been a question I have. Why do you believe part of the Bible story but not the supernatural part? Why do you believe all the other stuff? Just say, I don't believe the Bible. I don't, it's always caught me. And he talks about it, you know, they get across, and then Pharaoh's armies, and, and some of them drowned. Most of them didn't, all this kind of stuff. And I, I wanted to ask the guy, let's take the few that you said drowned. How did they do that in two inches of water? <laughs> you kind of work hard at that. Pretty much the only thing underwater is your mouth and nose. Right? But we see where, where God does this. This is God doing this. This is important because he says, verse 2, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. And then verse 3, I love this. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and army he is hurled into the sea. The finest of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in two inches of water in the Red Sea. <laughs> the deep waters gushed over them. They sank to the bottom of that two inches like a stone. Now, the Lord is a warrior. I think this is important because, yes, we, we know that, that God loved us is why he sent Jesus Christ, but but that doesn't take away the fact that the, that the God that loves us, that sends Jesus, is a warrior that sent a warrior son. And what do you think Jesus was doing in the three days between the cross and the resurrection? 
He, he wasn't going in there and playing patty cake with Satan. He took the keys from Satan, forcibly took the keys to death, hell, and the grave from Satan. He didn't ask his permission. He took the keys because he's a warrior king, and he doesn't play around. And, and as Christians, as people that are following Jesus, we've got to learn how to get in sync with what he is calling us to do. Now, I want to go back in time in my life for a little bit and kind of help us process, because this is where it comes to, okay, if we're going to follow the Lord, and the Lord is a warrior, then, then what are we fighting? How are we fighting? Why are we fighting all these different things? So I was a youth pastor in the early 90s, and I was a youth pastor in a town in, in Texas, and uh, we had had a see you at the pole moment, right? And um, once a year, September, they do see you at the pole and all the teenagers, and this was, this was 30 years ago, uh, we were doing C at the pole, okay? And uh, so we all gathered around the, the uh, flagpole on the school property, and we all prayed on that day. And uh, it was at one school, and there was about 100-something kids there. I went over to another school, and there was about 100-something kids there. And, um, and they, all the kids came to me after this and said, hey, we want to... We want to start doing this all the time. That's okay. We've got some student leaders together at different schools, and it turned out to be five schools that we were doing this with. And, and, um, and I was going every single day to the schools, and I'd go to two schools. I'd go and pray with some, and then I'd head over to another school, pray with them. And, uh, and, and I was switching different days, and we were getting 200, 250, 300 kids around the poles every single day in each of the schools. And the kids were pumped about this. this is the kids doing this. And this was at the time frame that, you know, they were the, 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 the spirit of Antichrist that invades humanity was trying to get uh, prayer out of schools. Now, this was still in Texas um, where, you know, teenagers wear guns on their hips to school, stuff like that. But um, they don't. I'm saying that for the people listening to the recording. Um, <clears throat> did anybody see the new thing that came out about me this last week? New blog or something like that? I am famous. Just want you guys to know. And it's weird because the guy was picking on me because I said, I don't know what he thought I said, but I said, um, it was two Wednesday nights ago, and I said, I'm, I'm praying that Jesus will, through this, this tragic stuff, help people to see him, his love for them. And somehow that was a horrible statement. I don't know how. I, I looked at the video three or four times. I'm like, how? But it's some guy, I don't know his name, but he does this, these political blog stuff and kind of things. But either way, so this was back in the time when, when prayer was being taken out of schools. And, and there was such a, a big push from the church. We've got to have prayer in schools. We've got to have prayer in schools. And this kind of started irritating me. Now, now follow my train of thought here. So I, I stood up in, in um, service. I, I was speaking that weekend in the, in the adult service. And so I, I wouldn't do this exactly this way nowadays, but I was young. And uh, so I said, you know, the, we got the prayer in schools. They had heard. Well, what had happened is I was going on to the campuses, and the principal at one of the schools didn't want me on the campus. Now, part of the deal is we had a guy in our church that had just come in and got saved. He was a drug addict and a drug dealer, a major drug dealer through all of East Texas, and uh, this principal at the school was one of his guys. 
his, his uh, dealers. And the principal knew I knew that. Okay? So he didn't care about prayer. He just didn't want me on the campus because of him. And so I show up one day, and all these teachers have these, like, walkie-talkies. This is pre-cell phone. And uh, they got all these walkie-talkies and things. And I'm like, what? what's going on? This is kind of interesting. What's happening? And then it clicked. This is about me. This isn't. They are, they are focusing on me. And then so I go up, and when I get to the pole, all these police cars come up and all this stuff, and they're going to arrest me, right? And I told the, the cops, I said, guys, I don't care if you arrest me. But if you do, you're going to look really bad about this. Why don't you just let me leave the campus? You can arrest me. I'll take it because I'm going to get on the front page of the newspaper if you do that. But the police were like, yeah, we don't arrest you. And the principal's arrest him. He needs to go down, all this other stuff. So um, uh, this was brand new. ACLJ was a beginning thing, not ACLU. Guys, you need to know the difference between ACLU and ACLJ. One bad, one good. Okay. ACLJ, Jay Sokolow had just started this uh, a few years before, and so I called him up, and he got involved in this. He sent a letter to the school. What he called, this was the term he used. He said, we're going to toss a velvet brick through their front window. I was like, I don't know what that means, but I like it. It sounds good. I like it. And uh, apparently that meant a letter. I was literally thinking something through the front window, but that's not what happened. But uh, so this became a big deal. But here's what I did. There was, it became a big deal in the city. People were paying attention to me because of this. And so I was preaching in the service on the weekend, and I said, okay, here's what I want to do. How many of you are willing to fight to get pay, uh, prayer back in schools? Everybody's cheering and raising their hands, standing up. Ah, we got you. We're going to do this. I said, okay, now here's what I want you to do. Everybody in the building that you are praying with your kids every single day, stand up. I know, right? Hmm. And a handful of people stood up, and I'm not sure about all them. Because this is one of the things that the church does very poorly, is we like to make a bunch of noise and do a bunch of stuff, but we're not really fighting. We're not really engaging the way we're supposed to. We like to make noise in the public square when it becomes something that's a controversial issue. But how much are we really doing this? This is something that, that, that Scripture tells us. Pray for the peace of Israel. In fact, the way the Scripture says it, I believe, is that every time we pray, we should pray for the peace of Israel. Okay, I've got a friend that's a missionary that um, he does it every time he prays. He prays for the food. God, thank you for the food, and I pray for the peace of Israel. Because he, he believes that it means every time you talk to God, you should pray that. Now, here's the thing. We get upset when all this stuff is happening and these Palestinian rallies, pro-Palestinian rallies and all this kind of stuff. And, and, um, but are we praying for Israel before that? I, I mean, think about this. Um, how much are we engaged before this? This Genesis project that we're talking about, I think it's a great idea. Go over there and do humanitarian aid. But even before you do something like that, pray for Israel. We, we have missionary to Israel. Support that. We send stuff to Israel. Support that. To learn how to fight the way that the Lord wants us to fight instead of the way we engage in this. He says the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is the one who did all this. Right? Joel chapter 2 verse 28 
Then after doing all those things, this is, so this is, Joel quotes this. This is Joel chapter 2, but in Acts chapter 2, when they're filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter gets up and he says, this is what Joel was talking about, is what's happening right now. So 500 years later, um, Peter gets up and says, this is what Joel was prophesying about. This is the, the last days mentality, and this is what the Holy Spirit's going to do. Now, interestingly, um, we see where some of this stuff is quoted in um, some of the exact same language is used in Revelation chapter 16. That stuff in Revelation 16 shows me something. That from Joel 2, prophesying to the time that Peter gets up, we say, does, does Joel know when he was prophesying about? That's not important. Peter defines for us when Joel was talking about. Okay? Peter says, this is what was... Anytime in the New Testament, a, a scripture in the Old Testament is quoted... That shows you how to translate and understand that scripture in the Old Testament. It doesn't stand alone in the Old Testament by itself, specifically when it's used by Jesus or one of the uh, writers of the epistles or something like that or one of the apostles. That shows you how you're supposed to translate it, how you're supposed to look at it. So Peter says, Joel, this is what Joel was talking about. Right now, you're seeing the, the Holy Spirit being poured out, and we see because Revelation 16 has not happened yet, that that means this time frame... And Joel 2 is from the time of Acts chapter 2 until Revelation 16, which includes past us. That means we're included in this. This is, this is vital for us to understand. This is a prophecy to me right now today. Not just to Peter or to the disciples at that time. He says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. I, I love the, the supernaturalness that Joel is expecting all of us to operate in uh, male, female, young, old, uh, servants, own, servant owners, all this other kind of stuff. Every one of us are expected to operate in the power of the, uh, of the Holy Spirit uh, because of this. He says, your sons and daughters will prophesy. This is another, this is just a little side thing. So, the, so we're part of the Assemblies of God. The Assemblies of God is very egalitarian. We believe very strongly that women can be in ministry just like men can. Well, look at this. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Not just your sons prophesy and your daughters listen. Guys, this is important. Women, don't ever let somebody tell you you cannot walk in the power of the Holy Spirit the exact same way a man can. We can prophesy. Who? Sons and daughters Amen. prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. I don't know what that's like yet, but someday, <laughs> I hope. I mean, we can ask some of the guys around here, guys, what is it like to be an old man and dream dreams? I'll tell you what it looks like to see visions. and Your young men will see visions. I, I strongly believe this, okay? I believe God is trying to talk to all of us all the time. All the time. We got to learn to listen. Turn off all the other stuff and listen. Here's a big one. Close Facebook and listen. You're like, but people put scriptures on Facebook. and Just close it. Just shut it down and listen. Listen to God. Let him talk to you. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on servants, men and women alike, will pour out my spirit. 
I will cause wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red. That's the Revelation 16 thing, right? Um, before that great and terrible day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We've got to hold on to that. Everybody at the time of Jesus calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everybody at our time that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For some on Mount Zion in Jerusalem will escape, just as the Lord has said. These will be among the survivors whom the Lord has called. Let me jump down farther in Joel chapter 3. This is a continuation of this prophetic um, uh, th- this prophecy that Joel has given and, and Peter says is for right now then and right for right now us, okay, for all of us. So Jer- Joel chapter 3 verse 9, say to the nations far and wide, get ready for war. Joel is, Peter's saying this is what the Lord is telling us right now, get ready for war. Call out your best warriors. Let all your fighting men advance for the attack. But here's the <clears throat> interesting thing is, What are we fighting and how are we fighting? I think the church has spent too long fighting against people. I'll give you a big one too. Is the church has spent too long fighting with each other. I've seen, and I've seen within church congregations, people fight with each other. Now, this is one thing that I think is amazing. Here, We don't really have that per se too much in our church here, Church of Burgate. We have a few times over the years, but we haven't had like these... At least since I've been here, we don't, we don't have like these big fights. It's not like people are always getting along, okay? Um, people just don't get along sometimes. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm saying like really fighting. We don't really struggle with that. We have some. But I, I take that as a huge blessing. I think part of the reason, I'll, I'll tell you, this is, this, is, um, this is my secret as the pastor. This is my secret to keep people from fighting. This is profound. Um, focus on winning lost people and you have a tendency to focus less on saved people. That's pretty, pretty simple, huh? If we really care more about our neighbor than coming and caring about what somebody is doing that irritates us in the church, just care about your neighbor. Care about your coworker. Care about the people around you. Care about their soul. And it's amazing how much better everybody looks in the building. I I strongly believe that. Now, here's something that's interesting. Verse 10. Hammer your plowshares into swords. I find this hugely interesting because in Isaiah, Isaiah says, hammer your swords into plowshares. But here's the difference between what Isaiah is talking about and what we're talking about. I think Isaiah is talking about the millennial reign when he talks about this. Um, Um... Isaiah chapter 2, you can go look and see if I'm right about that. I think he's talking about the millennial reign. That means after the tribulation, after the battle of Armageddon, for a thousand years, Jesus will rule from Jerusalem. We don't need swords during that time time frame. Jesus is ruling the whole earth. But guess what? Right now, we're in a battle. Satan is trying to destroy our kids, our marriages, our families. So here's another thing I've noticed over the years is if you're, let's say you're sitting at home watching TV and uh, somebody uh, kicks your front door in and comes and um, attacks your family. And I'm seeing this as a, as a, as a husband, father, right, male. Yeah, I, think it, I think it works the same for women. But I, I will fight to my last breath for my family. I will fight until I am dead 
for my family. And, and most of the time, I've seen that most of you, I think, would be the same way. You do everything you have. doesn't mean you're a good fighter. It just means you're going to give it all you've got. Okay? But, he, but here's what I found, because I've, I've said this. I've used this illustration in many different um, marriage counseling over the years. It's interesting how we will fight physically with somebody that comes in to try to attack our family, but spiritually, we leave the back door open constantly. We even invite people in. Spiritually, I'm not saying human beings, I'm saying inviting spiritual things in of what we're connecting with, what we're watching, what we're engaging with, our attitudes, our selfishness, our, our narcissism, humanism, all these different things, lack of praying together, lack of reading the word of God, lack of covering our family uh, with the blood of Jesus. We, we voluntarily leave our back door open and we wonder why our marriages are messed up, our families are messed up, because we're not actually fighting for our marriages. We're not fighting for our families. If somebody physically accosted our family, we'd be all about it. We'd be all over them. But what happens when Satan walks in and just begins to attack our family and tear us down and try to destroy us? Are we fighting for that? Are we fighting for our marriages? This is one of the things, and I know I'm, I'm getting really picky here, but so many times over the years I've sat with couples that are more interested in winning a fight against their spouse than fighting for their spouse against Satan and all the junk of society. Fighting for your spouse. And you can even just, you can even just be biblical about this. And, and specifically, husbands, it says that, that um, you should uh, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for and presented her to himself as perfect and spotless without any blemish. Is that how we present our wives to ourselves? Or we, man, she's, she annoys me. Right? I was, I was thinking about that this week because my wife's been gone out of town. And um, I won't throw any of the guys under the bus that said something similar to this. But it's been quiet at my house. And I don't mind that. You know, in two or three day sprints, I don't, I don't mind quiet. But here's the thing. I was thinking about this because I'm praying for my family. I do that all the time. And I was praying, God, please bring my wife back to me because, man, I love the sound of her voice. Don't tell her I said that. <laughs> but, I, but, you know, her voice can irritate me more quicker than any voice on the planet. You know what I'm talking about? You're like, <laughs> she can irritate me, boom. But I, I can't imagine not having that voice there. Do you understand what I'm saying? I want to I fight for that. I want to fight for my marriage. I want to fight against her. We fight, but I don't want to fight against her. I want to I fight for her. That, that's, the church doesn't do that well. I want to fight for my children, not against my children. I want to fight against Satan. I want to fight against his lies. I want to fight against the stuff. But I want to fight for my family. Because we need to understand the difference in the two. We need to fight for people in this building. Not because they're your best friends or something, but because they're taking stands that you need to support. 
You need to support the mentality. When they're, when they're going up to the school boards and they're fighting in those settings, support that. I got a list of all these board members, uh, people that are running for school board from all these different churches. A guy in town put the list together and sent them all to me of this person from this church and this person from this church. And they're all over Colorado Springs, districts all over Colorado Springs and all the churches that they go to. I don't know all these people. I don't know how legitimate they are. But the fact that they're Christians in churches trying to do something. We should support that. If they, if they go off the rails, correct that. But support this. And I, and I told them, I'm proud of these churches. I'm proud of these pastors. Guys, we gotta, we got to not fight with each other. Satan gives us plenty to fight against. Let's try not to fight against each other. It doesn't, it doesn't benefit. And I'm not even talking within Church of Bergen. I'm saying from church to church, too. There's some churches out there I would never go to. I don't support their theological stance. I think they're, they're too woke and everything, but there are Christians in those churches that, are, that, are, that need to know that they are part of the body of Christ and that we got their back. Even if, even if they're woke, I am fighting against churches that are woke, but I'm not fighting against the people. It's a spiritual thing. Try to salvage the people. Try to minister to the pastors, shake them. God's given me so many opportunities lately. I've been traveling all over the state speaking to pastors about what's the difference between woke church and biblical church. I never thought I'd be able to do that. This is through three other groups that are setting these things up regularly. And pastors are showing up in droves. and, And I get to tell them this is what woke is. They're like, hmm, I've heard that. I'm thinking, you are that. Some, some of these churches are great churches, great pastors. But some of these are woke churches that show up. And God's given me the chance to say, there is a better way. Take a stand. Take a stand. Guys, same for you and I. When you go to work, take a stand. You, don't be obnoxious, but take a stand. Take a stand. It's, it's time for us to, to take our plowshares and, and form them into swords and realize we're in a fight. And we're in a fight every single day. Your pruning hooks... Turn them into spears. Train even, even your weaklings to be warriors. Now, this sounds uh, like a pejorative term, the way that it's because of the way we look at weaklings. But let me, let me posit it this way uh, talking about people that just don't know or newer to understanding who God is, newer to this, and, and to really kind of process. This doesn't mean weaklings in a negative sense, it means people that are not where you are yet. Okay, on a scale from one to ten, if you're a two, reach backward to a one and help that one become a two when it comes to standing for God. Okay, as you move further along, you've got a longer list of people that you can reach back and say, "Hey, let's do this. Take a stand." This is this is what we're talking about in the the, uh, New Testament when God talks to the to the older uh, people in the room about reaching back into the younger marriages, younger families, younger parenting situations, and helping them. Guys, we do not do this good enough in the church today. Okay? I, I know I pick on you guys that are, that are not like me, but old, old people. But um, you, you guys have some wisdom and some understanding of how to, to do things. You did the parenting thing. We got parents right now in our, in our building that have... Kids are six years old, 
You know what? They've never parented a six-year-old. And the kid's never been six. Right? But now the kid's six and the parent is a parent of a six-year-old. Some of you parented multiple six-year-olds. You've got some stuff to speak. You say, well, the younger crowd doesn't listen to us. They don't care. They're Give them a chance. Don't assume that they don't. And even if they don't, you, you know how you do it? You trick them. You invite them to lunch after church on Sunday. And then you say something like, hey, how's this whole parenting thing going? And they'll tell you. It's not going good. You know, it's that kind of thing. And then you help them. Those are, those, are the, those are the weaklings. That doesn't mean they're weak people. It means they haven't been here before. They don't know and they need some help. Men, women that are warriors in this room, you've been a warrior for a while, you need to be training warriors behind you. If you're not, then how really effective are you at being a warrior? Because none of us are called by God to be lone rangers. So how good of a warrior if you're not training the next Group of warriors, this is why we do things, this is just for the men's ministry, but this is why we do things like the men's breakfast and we do men's retreat and stuff like this. This is why the women are at women's retreat right now. Because the, the, they all get together, young women, old women. They get together and they talk and they hang out. And every single time that happens, my daughter goes, my daughter-in-law goes, they come back and they talk about some of these older ladies that, man, did you know they did this and they did this and that? Because why? Younger ladies just assume that once you get over 50, you, just, you never did have anything before that. You were nothing. And then they tell stories of when they would make out with their boyfriends. They're like 70, and they were talking about when they made out with their boyfriends when they were 17. And the younger women are like, you kissed? Yeah, how do you think their kids got here? We don't actually know the answer to that question. Guys, there's, there's stuff you can bring to the table, but we got to train the, the younger, the weaklings, the way of Scripture is saying. we got to train. I, I was thinking about this in, in context of warrior. When I was a kid, I went and stayed with my great-grandmother one time. Me and my brother did, and we stayed for a couple of days overnight. And um, my great-grandmother, she, was, she died when she was 103. Um, you know, when I'm a kid, she was already like in her 70s, and she seemed so old. So old, and she lived like another 30 years, right? But we stayed at her house one time, and, and uh, she was Church of Christ. And my dad would always give her a hard time because we were similar to God, and she would say, do you think we're going to heaven? Talking about us Pentecostals. Do you think we're going to heaven? If you know anything about the Church of Christ doctrine, only the Church of Christ are going to heaven, okay? That's, that's why their signs say Church of, the Church of Christ meets here. You ever notice that on their signs? That's because they believe they're the church and everybody else is not. And if you're the church, you're meeting with them. That's why it says that, okay? So my dad would ask her, you think we're going to heaven? I don't know. I don't know. But I stayed overnight one time and I, I was listening to her. She was praying. I'd never heard her do this. And, and she was praying. And apparently she did this every night. And she was praying. And for a long time, and she was praying for all the family. And I went and stood at the door and listened to her pray. I listened to her pray in tongues. So we're like, so? Church of Christ don't do that. They don't believe that. And my, I, my father would ask her things, because my dad knew this. 
And she, she would pray in the spirit for her family. I was like nine years old. You know what? That's a warrior. That is a warrior. That's somebody that fights and fights daily and fights hard and strong for the body of Christ and for the kingdom of God. That's a warrior. Guys, that's what we need is warriors. People that will stand for truth and witness and talk and pray for people. We need warriors, not fighting against people, but fighting against Satan, truly fighting this stuff. In Joel chapter um, 3, verse, I'm going to skip down past that. Um, Judges chapter 6. I was looking all through Scripture, of, and, and I've, I've got a, programs and all kinds of stuff that do this, um, but I was looking for all the different times that God called somebody a warrior. Not when he called a people warriors or fighters or whatever, um, or when people called people warriors or whatever, but when God called an individual a warrior. It's only one place in Scripture. That caught me off guard. I didn't expect that. I, I had in my head two or three other people that I, I just knew that God had called them a warrior. But this is the only one. It was Gideon. Judges chapter 6, verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero or mighty warrior or somebody that wins the battle. Which is interesting because Gideon had never fought. And God was calling him uh, the uh, winner of battles. A hero. Because God knows long before we ever step into the fight that we can be victorious in him. Gideon was a weakling. He truly was the definition of weakling in Scripture. Anything about him was a weakling. But God said, Gideon, you're a mighty hero. He said, the Lord is with you. It's the only person I could find in Scripture that God specifically used a term like warrior. Only time. And he was the weakest of the weaklings. That was his excuse, by the way. Well, I'm the smallest of the smallest tribes of the nothingness people, and I can't do anything. And Jesus said, yeah, but I see you a little differently, God. I see you a little differently. I see you as a hero, a battle winner. As I believe for every one of us in this room, that's how God sees us. I wish I could instill that in your spirit, that somehow I could supernaturally put that in there. But if you'll let the Holy Spirit do that, he can confirm that in your spirit right now, that you are a warrior for him. It doesn't matter all of the things that you think about yourself, it matters what God says about you. And interestingly, because I assumed there's got to be one guy in the Bible that God calls a warrior. Who's that? It's got to be David, right? Do you know God never called David a warrior? But you know what he did say? Talking to Saul, God said this, but now your kingdom, Saul, must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And this is in the New Testament too. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you've not kept the Lord's commands. David, a man after God's own heart. The, the, probably the great, well, I think the greatest warrior in the Bible, hands down, but potentially could be argued one of the greatest warriors ever. One of the greatest individual warrior guys ever in history. And God called him a man after his own heart. 
See, I, I believe that, that if we will pursue God with everything about us, we will fight the right battles at the right time, the right way we're supposed to. But when you pursue the fight, and, and I'm, I'm telling myself this some, I'm trying to figure this out as a representative. Which of the fights do I engage and which of them does the Lord want me to engage? And are those always the same thing? Probably not. But when I'm up there and I know truth and I know this stuff, it's hard for me not to engage. Right? In fact, the uh, Republican caucus, they, they'll make a list. They'll have meetings. And every morning we have a list and they'll say, okay, this bill so-and-so is going to be the front on this. This bill so-and-so is going to be the front, the starting point. The person that knows the best, they were in committee or whatever, and they know. And so this, pers- this bill, this person. Then they get to the end of the, ha- the bills for that day. And they would say this almost every single day. They would say, and then we all just kind of watch Scott because when he gets mad, he's just going to get up there and say a bunch of stuff. <laughs> he's right. I am. Because that's why they wouldn't put me on a bill specifically. I, I, they did sometimes. But they know I'm going to get up and speak most of the time on most bills. Because why? I cannot not speak truth. Right? I've got to speak truth. Well, but, but there also has to come discernment and wisdom and balance there to say, God, when do you want me to speak and when do you not? So far, I haven't got a whole lot of the not. We'll work on that. So three things. Number one, God's calling us to be warriors, every one of us. God's calling you to be a warrior, me to be a warrior. Remember, the name of the Lord is Jehovah Nisi, the victor of all battles. That is not my name. I fight under his banner. I don't carry the banner. I fight under his banner. And interestingly, anytime I engage the battle the way he wants under his banner, I always win. Isn't that interesting? Because he's the victor of all battles. The second thing, <clears throat> God uses the weakest to be the greatest. That's so consistent throughout Scripture, which I don't know about you, but I am so grateful for that. More than I can say, I've never been the greatest. I've never been the, the, uh, the guy. I've never been the front runner, any of those kind of things. But God has used me so much over the years, and, and I attribute it to, to basically one thing. I submit myself to him to be used. I don't always go politely toward it. I don't always go quietly toward it. Sometimes I'm kicking and screaming, God, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I can give you a recent example. Representative. So I I don't always want to do this stuff, but I know when God's told me, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do the best I can. And then, so guess what? God will use me. That's all you have to do. He uses the weakest People And he uses the weakest things within us most of the time to declare how big he is. And part of the reason is because God doesn't like to share glory. This is his battle. He's the king. He's the ruler. He's everything. And the cool thing is, is, is with all that known, he will put us up to be successful. He doesn't have to. But he will put us up to be successful. I believe with one caveat, we make sure that it's about him instead of about us. The third thing, great warriors pursue the heart of God first. I want to be a David warrior, not a Saul warrior. I want to be somebody that follows God. 
That doesn't mean, it doesn't mean we're going to get it right all the time when we're doing that. It doesn't mean we're not going to make mistakes or whatever. But if David, David obviously proved that the heart of God, that being a man after God's heart, own heart doesn't mean being perfect. It means pursuing God and his plan. And that's the kind of warrior I want to be. God, I want your plan. I want what you're saying. I want what you're speaking. I want, to, I want what you're doing. God, you lead. And then it's amazing what God can do with us. I, I want to end with this quote I found from... Um, Martin Luther King Jr. <clears throat> he says, By opening our lives to God in Christ, we become new creatures. This experience, which Jesus spoke of as the new birth, is essential. Now look at this. Is essential if we are to be transformed nonconformist. Man, I love that. I want to be a transformed nonconformist. I don't want to give in to the ways of the world. I want to be a living sacrifice to God. I want to be transformed by the blood of Jesus Christ to stand against Satan. And, and I want everything that Satan provides, I want to tear that down. I'm a nonconformist. And nowadays, well, I think it's kind of always been this way, but I've only been alive 50 plus years. So... This is the way I see, and, it's, and I do believe it's getting worse and worse, is nowadays anything that the world seems to be spitting out, we need to be standing against. It seems like pretty much everything that's being provided by society is wrong and harmful, bad. So I want to be a transformed, by the blood of Jesus Christ, a transformed nonconformist. Wasn't, wasn't Martin Luther King Jr. the same thing? He was doing this about um, uh, uh, racial prejudice, but man, he, he stood against everybody and everything. Amazing. He says, only through an inner spiritual transformation do we gain the strength to fight vigorously the evils of the world in a humble and loving spirit. Why don't you stand with me? Lord, we need your spirit. We need to be transformed by your spirit. We need to be covered with your blood, Jesus. We need to be forgiven and made right. And Lord, through that transformation, help us to stand up against the junk that Satan throws at us. And Lord, not just us. Teach us. Teach us how to fight alongside of those around us, alongside of other Christians, that we are fighting for them against the stuff that Satan is trying to do in their life. God, we fight against the, the destruction, the, the death that Satan brings. We fight against that in our lives. We fight against that in other people's lives. God, I pray for every one of us here we will learn a little bit more deeply what it means to be a warrior. What it means to stand. It doesn't matter what anybody else is standing. That we will stand. That we will stand and speak truth. That we will stand for holiness. God, help us to be a, a people. Help us at church at Briargate to stand 
and fight for holiness more than we fight for other things, more than we fight for the Second Amendment. God, help us to fight for holiness. God, help us to fight for righteousness and holiness even more than we fight for free speech. Lord, we fight for your kingdom to be built in our hearts and our lives. And then, God, I pray that not just our church, but the church will stand up for life and for freedoms. That we will stand for babies. And we will fight that fight. Lord, I pray just like Martin Luther prayed, that we do this in humility and love. God, help us to fight against the evils of this, this grooming stuff, this demonic stuff that's being pushed on our kids. God, help us to fight against the, the lies that Satan tells us about abortion and about the LGBT community. Lord, help us to fight for the souls in the LGBT community. Help us to fight for the souls at our workplace, fight for the souls in our community. In Jesus' name. We need you, Lord. We need you above everything. We need your spirit, your truth. God, help us to stand. And I pray for the churches across Colorado Springs. God, we will be, we will stand against the stuff that Satan is doing. And Lord, that we can stand united, even if we don't believe exactly like they do. Lord, we can still stand united in you and in your salvation. As long as they believe you're the Savior, Lord, I can stand with them. In Jesus' name. God, help us here at Church at Briargate to be exactly who you've called us to be. In Jesus' name. Lord, I, th I think, Lord, I ask you just to wash us clean, to forgive us. Forgive us for the times when we haven't stood like we're supposed to. Forgive us for the times when we've maybe made a public stand, but in our spiritual walk, we're not standing. God, help us to be true. Worship you in spirit and in truth. Not hypocritical, but true. In the name of Jesus. And we want you to be first in all things. First in our minds, first in our lives, our hearts. In all things. In the name of Jesus. God, help us through this week. That, that you show us the moment, those, those take a stand moments, those fight the fight moments, show us that, Lord God. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give us the opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. That's the greatest fight you'll ever fight telling somebody about Jesus. You win that one, and you win a soul for the kingdom. Most important thing that will ever happen. 
So fight that fight every single moment. Tell somebody about Jesus, and God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them you're glad they're here, and uh, try to be honest about it, and we will see you Wednesday evening.